the Gold Real Business shows, it, it's given us and given the business a voice to say what the Scottish economy could be. I hope that driving enterprise and business is at the heart of whoever is running any government. We believe in people striving, working hard, taking on people, creating the jobs. And we have to make it that we are so attractive for people to come here and to open businesses. But at the moment, it looks like when you listen to startups and scale-ups, it's the opposite. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Willie. Uh, How are you, sir? I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant. Good. Aye, and I want to start off with a couple of bits of good news. Especially about Glasgow. Moan, zone, and good news for Willie. Brilliant. And we're always having a go, but we always say we try to be balanced. Yes. And it's brilliant to see this week that Glasgow has come out in the top 10 cities in Europe for inward investment. Wow. Right, fantastic. really good news. Right, brilliant. That's great. So that's a great foundation to build on. So well done to everybody within Glasgow who's a part of uh, attracting inward investment, Scottish Enterprise, the local council. So well done. Positive Patrick will be happy. Keep it up. We'll not talk about him, right? We're, we're says we're going to keep on the good news. <laughs> and the other great news as well is we've been talking about the airport, how it needs a wee dig out, yes. right? So it's brilliant to see that Jet2 have announced new flights to Berlin and Vienna direct from Glasgow. Brilliant. So that is amazing, Willie. And I was very heartened when Stuart Patrick, sorry, Positive Patrick, said last week that the traffic was up. Um, we need to get these flights across the pond for, for business. Yep. I mean, we just need it. Yep. Um, but every time I go, there's this big Airbus 380 sitting. Aye. And it, so it goes to Dubai every day. Aye. Is, is that? And sometimes it goes twice. Sometimes it goes twice. Right. And, and Dubai, Emirates have said it's one of their best Roots. So, I mean, that is great for business who are doing business in the Far East because it's a hub. Absolutely. For me going to Australia. For you going to Australia to see your businesses yeah. there, for everybody who wants to do business there. Yeah. So it looks as if we've got good links to the East, but yeah. we need good links to the West Correct. as well. Let's get that New York flight back on. And then that'll help you go and see your American business. Yes, defo, defo. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to tell you this. I know you always dig out the nuggets about this, the, the global stock market, oh, right? Oh, come on then. So my favourite programme this week, Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Right? Watching it. And I couldn't believe it. You know now that they refer to all the big city now as the Magnificent Seven. Magnificent Seven. So your Google, Seven. Amazon, all these people, right? I do. So wait till you hear this stat. Right. In the last quarter, right? So that must have been the last quarter of the last year, 2023, Right. The Magnificent Seven were up 50% in value. No. Right? Really? We hear this. And the rest, the, the entirety of the market was down 10%. Wow. Right? So the uplift of those seven alone made it look like a positive spin for growth. That is incredible. That is incredible, Willie. Yeah. And it just shows you, you know, these companies are just transforming the world, right. basically. Oh. And I, I did notice this week that Jeff Bezos, who has kind of stepped back from Amazon, cashed in another four billion, put it in his hip pocket. He's maybe he's maybe going down um, <laughs> in Glasgow for a wee swally with that one. Uh -huh. Four billion, no bad for a wee cash in. Four billion. <laughs> hey, so listen, after all that good news, I need a wee lie down. So what right. about you? What do you want to talk about? Oh, goodness. Well, I don't really want to talk about it, but... Um, the UK economy slipped into a technical recession. Yes. Now, our listeners might be saying, well, what's a technical recession? So let me give you the academic view of what a technical recession is, and then we can see if it makes any difference to anybody. So a technical recession, um, a recession is if for two quarters, the GDP of a country has gone backwards. Yes. So... In the last three months, in 23, we went, we shrunk by 0.3%. Yeah. And the previous quarter to that, we shrunk by 0.1%. Yeah. And that means we're in a recession. Now, does it make any difference to our listeners this morning? Well, it's, a, it's an indicator that we're just not growing our economy. Yeah. The forward view on the UK economy, this is UK, is that we're only going to grow by 0.7 in 24. Now, 
that is better, they think, than France and Germany. I can't believe that. But is anybody happy? Because the only way, and we talk about it every week, Willie, the only way a country can pay for its health service, its police, its education, to help the people who can't help themselves is if businesses grow, pay their taxes, and if we're going backwards, there's less money for that. Correct. So what do you think about it? Well, i seen that and it was interesting. Obviously, on the day that that was announced, that we're having two by-elections down in England. You're not going to mention the by-elections. Well, I'm delighted to see that Labour had an amazing turnaround in both of the seats, so congratulations, there's one in both of these seats. But it was interesting the day after... Right, and I think you'd have been surprised by this, that the ONS's figures for retail actually said that January was up 3.4%, which was astounding. That's hard to right. believe, really. Well, to be fair, there is a caveat where a lot, the BRC, so the British Retail Consortium, is that what it is, Tom? You know there's Mill yep. and Me. That's what it is. They says, uh, don't go with the figures, oh, <laughs> right? They're misleading. They're misleading. <laughs> yeah. Right, well... I Maybe talk about another high street name that's going to disappear, will it? Yeah. By the looks of it, is Body Shop. Yes. And it's been some saggery. I mean, Body Shop was founded by one of my heroines, yeah. um, Anita Roddick, way back in the 70s, yes. will it? Yes. And she was an amazing woman. Um, her husband, who I think was Scottish, Gordon Roddick, I think he was Scottish. We can maybe check that. Yeah. Um, they were a great partnership and she was an innovator. She was one of these founders who yes. went round the world finding cosmetics sourced sustainably before MD had ever heard of sustainable production. She used to find wee bits in the Amazon and she was an amazing woman and she had a mission and values in that company to change the world for the yeah. better. Um, anyway, in 2006, it was sold to L'Oreal, one of the world's biggest. Um, Anita had taken not well. She, she wasn't in good health. and But it was sold for about £650 million wow. back in 2006. But this is... My point here is this is the difference between a founder of a business and corporate management. Yeah. L'Oreal looked at it and said, oh, we can get better margins in the Philippines. So it's run by spreadsheet, Willie. Yeah. The innovation, the save the world message, it was all about how cheap can we make it. Yeah. Now, they managed to sell it to a Brazilian company in um, about 2017 called Natura. Yeah. Natura seemingly paid 880 million for it. Wow. So things still seem to be going well. But, and this is where I sniff a wee bit of jiggery pokery. That's an accounting term for the listeners this morning. Yeah. And Natura sold the business in November 23 to a private equity firm called Aurelius. And they have put it, they've only owned it for three months and they've put it into admin, but, yeah. but they're going to be secure. And the money, I believe, the figures I've saw, they only put 20 million of their own money in wow. to buy. It was a headline price of like 200 million, yeah. but um, that's not what was paid for the business. And mm. then they've hived off bits of it. Don't want to get too technical here in case the lawyers are listening, but... I smell a rat. And and Mark, Co Mark Constantine, who's the founder of Lush, and Lush have just taken what must be the best site in Glasgow for their cosmetic store. He wrote a brilliant piece in the Sunday Times last Sunday about how there wouldn't be Lush unless there was body shop. And he loved Anita Roddick and she encouraged them, etc. Yeah. So, sad, I would yeah. say. And it's interesting that you mention Anita. I remember... Um, she was engaged a few years ago maybe to try and come up with a plan to help save the high street. Yeah. Remember? Uh-huh. And watching some of the stuff this week and it showed you some of the films of some of the high streets and I'm talking about the length and breadth of Britain. It would break your heart. Yeah. Break your heart. So many shops closed, so many pubs closed, no businesses closing down. Well, I mean, we can't have that. So people ask me all the time, Tom, is the high street got a future? And my answer is, is yes, but... It can't be the way it is just now. Um, my top line thoughts on it, Willie, are, are very simple. If you want a vibrant high street, the first thing councils have got to do is to say, right, let's make the parking free. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, let's redeploy the parking attendants to some other better job. Yeah. Um, because like Silverburn, you can drive into Silverburn, the parking's free. So why are you yeah. going to shop near High Street or Comarnock yeah. or whatever yeah. if, if somebody's chasing you? So make the parking free. That's in the gift of the councils. And then you've got to look at the business rates. Mm. And the best people to decide what goes in the high street are entrepreneurs. Yeah. So make it easy for them to go in, try something. Oh, no, it didn't work right. I've lost a wee bit of money, but I'll try something else. And they can find a formula if the rent and rates are affordable. So if they do fail, they fail cheap, they fail quick, but then they try something else. Bring residential back into the high street, Willie. Mm -hmm. And these are all... It's not that difficult. No, to it's do, no rocket really. science. But the problem is, Tom, because of the pressure on the purse strings that you know the councils take from it, is they're doing the opposite. They're doing the complete opposite. Yeah. We're charging out of hours now. We're charging on a Sunday. All of these things, and now we've introduced ULEs. All of these things now are more and more barriers, right, to getting the high street, you know, off its knees. And that's the opposite of what is required. Yes. Right, so Short big message. thinking, Willie. Yeah, but but some of the the states of the buildings, Tom, they all look derelict. You know, I there's mean, closed down shops. I had I had to go and air the other week, Willie, and I mean, air was a vibrant. I mean, I I lived there for many years, vibrant place, a county town. You know, with good shops in the high street there, and first of all, the station, which has been lying derelict, the station hotel, and it's dangerous and. They can't find the owner. I don't know why they just don't compulsory purchase yeah. it and deal with it. I really don't. Yeah. Um, that's a question for the council. But it looks terrible. terrible. And most most cities, unfortunately, have got a bit that looks like at the moment. Here's another one that obviously affects both of us. So I read that the report from the Home Scotland shows that major new housing developments are being held over for over a year because of the planning process. It took an average of 62 weeks to process planning submissions despite the statutory time frame being only 14. 62 There, there is a 41% collapse in the number of applications. right? And this comes at a time when the government are got its funding in half. So all of this, the, the, the government have to realise that Housing and development is at the heart of how we get the economy back on its, on, on, its feet. on its feet. Me and you have said in the past, before the fintech boom, the amount of houses built in the UK used to be the barometer as to how the economy was doing. We've got to get young people into work. We've got to get applications moving. We have to encourage more investment. And this, it looks as if it's going the opposite way. So we have to get our finger out here and have a serious look at this and what people have got to say. You're absolutely right. And if you look at history, every recession, and we're in a recession, whether you want to call it a technical one or whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, every recession, we've come out of it and it's been housing-led, Willie. Yeah. And if it's taken 62 weeks to get a planning, I mean, yeah. my goodness. what Are these people working for home or what's the problem? I don't know what the problem is, if I'm honest. I, I think the problem, I mean, you're heavily involved in this, I think because of the cutbacks. I think a lot of councils have cut back in the amount of people that live in, uh, that work, sorry, in the in the play. I'm sure working from home maybe has something to do with it, but I just think actually that it's a lack of personnel. Uh, I totally understand that local authorities are under pressure because budgetary constraints, but it can't be that all your answers have to be in cut, cut, cut. We have to look at ways. Well, for example, if you had a slick planning department that moved much, much faster, if you were ahead of other the other 31 local authorities in Scotland, that would attract investment. Even if you're telling people no, as long as they get the answer quicker, I think the money that you would generate from new houses, from the rateable take, for the money into the coffers, that you could employ more people, it would pay for itself. And I think for major developers, if you wanted to charge a bit more for fast-tracking, for whatever it may be to get plan application, I am sure that developers and builders would be happy to pay that premium. Yeah, so, I mean, we're doing a big development through in West Lothian, just outside Edinburgh, and 
our chief executive's got a very good relationship with the West Lothian Council planning, but mm -hmm. I mean, we have been there for 17 years, mm -hmm. so they know each other very, very well. Yeah. And we don't always agree, and the, the planners are always looking for the developer to build more public amenities, etc. You know, I mean, in 17 years, we haven't had a penny out of that project. Yeah. Um, it's always jammed tomorrow. But I always remember James Watt of um, Brewdog was talking about when he was opening bars in America and there was a fast track planning. Yeah. And the he had to pay, but he could say, I want to open um, a brewery in Columbus, Ohio. Here's my plans. Um, I'm going to pay extra and I'll have a fast track um, which will get me... It wasn't cutting corners. It was yeah. just they were looked yeah. at it. And he said the Americans had worked out they would get more rates, they would get more jobs created quicker. And I, I actually put that to Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister, but she, she never got back to me, Willie. Um, yeah. Maybe I missed that. What's that? Yeah. But, but you're absolutely right. And it's not about jumping the queue. All developments where people are going to spend more than £20 million should be in a priority lane. Right. I mean, I I did, when I looked at it, this is some years ago, you know, we are doing a billion pound development West Lothian. You know, we were yeah. in after a hedge dispute. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or a new garden hut. But I am positive about West Lothian planning department. <laughs> yeah, but on that, you know, just on that theme that we, we must do something to re-energise the market for building houses. Right, we need it, you know, we need it. The, the, this country needs it. The, uh, you know, I watched Question Time last Thursday night right, and at the end it. of it, and the, um, Fiona Bruce put it to the panel, what is the one thing, right, that government should be talking about right now to, that will attract the people to come and vote for them? And two of a panel of five both said housing. Housing. Right, let's get nice, affordable housing for the masses. Let's make sure... Of a plan in the next 10 years, there's no such thing, right, as the property ladder, right? Well, I hope your party is listening to you because yeah. it looks as if that's who's going to be in government next after the by-elections. And I know you've been at the business conference at the Labour Party this week. So hopefully, Willie, there's a change afoot and politicians are listening yeah. to folks like yourself. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I'd want to do a wee plug. Go on. For um, the Hunter Foundation Scale Up Scotland. So as you know, we've got three different levels, and but this week we are recruiting for um, the Scale Up program, which is kind of aimed at entrepreneurs, founders, business owners of businesses, maybe doing one to five million turnover, but one to ten times that. You know, they're really ambitious for growth. And we'll recruit um, 12 of these chief execs, owners, founders, and we'll take them down to Blair Castle, where they will, it's for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So it's, it's like folk like you come and speak to them and say, this is how it really is. There's no consultants allowed. There's no accountants allowed. It's got to be people have been there and done it. And we curate this programme over this time. But the secret sauce of it all, Willie, as you know, is the other people they meet round the table. That networking. And just being able to say, I don't really know what to do because it's a, it's a lonely job being a founder of a company and you don't really want to say in front of your team, I don't know what to do. But within this group, yeah. there are people there who go, right, I understand, I can't pay the wages this week. And I had, had dinner there with another cohort at Blair Castle this week and um, they were a brilliant group. We had Yvette Hopkins speak. She's a lady who's who's now lives in Shetland, but she was in the US military and she ran the counterintelligence. Her story was amazing. We had Mark Logan, the entrepreneur in residence, and we had Callum Patterson of Scottish Equity Partners. But one of the people around the table said, you know, told the story of how he couldn't pay the wages on... <laughs> a Friday and what he did and he said I couldn't tell that story to any other group than this now I'm I'm not saying who it was because I'm telling Absolutely. everybody about it yeah. but it's a brilliant thing if you want to know more about it go to scaleup at hunterfoundation.co.uk 
and get on the programme. And Tom, how many can you take in in this cohort? Twelve. Twelve. Only twelve. Right. Um, and so we've got three different cohorts running at any one time, Willie. But this one, the application's open today at that website and we're looking for 12. Well, I can tell the listeners any businesses that are looking to scale up or to look for that quantum to go from 5 to 50 that you could not do anything better than getting involved in the scale-up. There you are. You heard it here first. Willie's been positive this morning. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Grant Keenan, Managing Director of Keenan Recycling, one of the largest food waste collection companies in the UK. Grant, good morning. Morning, Willie. Good morning, Tom. How are you Welcome doing? Welcome to the show. Morning, Grant. So I hear you are a listener to the show, which always warms Willie's cockles there. He can get more money out of his advertisers if he's doubled his listener. <laughs> and, and, um, I can't wait to hear uh-huh. your story of how you've got to one of the biggest... Is it a food waste business? It's a food waste collection business, yeah. We're right. actually the biggest, to be fair. Oh, yeah. you're actually the biggest? yeah. yeah. Well, Sean, you need to get your pencil sorted. (laughs) But there you go, the biggest in the UK. Yeah, biggest in terms of bins lifted per month or annually, if that makes sense. So so tell us a wee bit about how it it all began. Where are you from and what's your kind of background? Okay, thanks, Tom. Um, So I suppose if if you go back to uh, um, school, I wasn't particularly academic, I was okay. Parents always thought, what are you going to do for a living? Where was that, Who were you brought up? So I went to three academies. Um, originally, Ellen Academy up in Aberdeen. All right. I know Ellen well. Yeah, right. then I did a stint at Alva Academy. And then in the Trossachs at McLaren High in Calendar. Yeah. Uh, was the, the final one I went to. All right. So I had a Saturday job um, selling shoes and I realised I was getting a buzz out of selling. Selling shoes? Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good I know somebody yeah. did that. future in that. Yeah, no, future. No. <laughs> uh, so uh, I thought, I, I'm, I'm sales, that's what I want to get into. So at 17, left school, three hires. Um, and I thought, well, I uh, applied for all these fancy jobs. No one gave me a job because no. company cars couldn't get insured. So <laughs> the job came up in Sterling as a door-to-door salesman selling oil paintings. You're joking. No, no. So, <laughs> oil I tell, paintings? Yeah, but I tell you what, Tom, that set me up for the rest of That's everything I did after. Nothing, I always maintain, if you can bang a householder's door at half past five in the afternoon... Cold call. Cold call. Selling an oil paint in yeah, Stirling. Yeah. And, Come on. Yeah, it wasn't just Stirling, the base in Stirling, but we used to travel to... Kilmarnock and Glasgow and everywhere. You have no chance in Kilmarnock. So on. anything I sold to anyone ever would be easier than that. But the lesson I learned quite quickly was one night I came back and uh, the guy whose um, company it was said, uh, what's wrong with you? And I said, I hadn't sold anything. And it was uh, commission only. Oh, right. Didn't sell, he didn't eat. And he said, oh, but you know you're going to sell again, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, so every door you get a rejection from, just tell yourself you're one step closer to your next sale. So I thought, okay. That's I, a good tip. It is, and then you realise everything's a numbers game. Pound the the, the streets and keep yeah. going. So, so how did you take the rejection? Because we're all I'd, I'd, I find it very hard. Can you do it? I didn't bother me in the slightest. Really? Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't kill it. Just, just your luck, your yeah, makeup. Yeah, just, just part of it. Because you knew you would. You weren't. You knew you weren't going to sell at every door. So, um, but I didn't want to be a door-to-door salesman. Had right. aspirations to run my own business. After that, I did a very short stint as a financial advisor. Believe it or not, really, uh, lasted about a year. It was the only time I'd studied for anything. I'd passed all my exams, but I was too young and the country was in a recession. So, right. um, my dad worked in the oil industry, so he um, or he got a job in the oil industry, should I say. So he moved back to Aberdeen and he said, do you want to come back home right. or do you want to stay down here? And being honest, I, I was struggling to support myself anyway. Right. 18 at that point, I said, I'll come back up the road. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I want to start my own business. I said, doing what? I, said, I don't know. Nowadays, everybody gets all the support through Business Gateway and There's everything. a lot of support, aye. Tremendous support. My uh, business plan consisted of saying to my mate's dad that I had a hardware shop, any ideas for a business? And he said, I'm selling these um, peat briquettes in Ireland um, from Borden and Mona and they're selling really well. And I know there's... So, so sorry, what were they? Sorry, they were peat briquettes for burning briquettes, in a fire. Briquettes, Aye, briquettes. Briquettes, that's a bit... <laughs> are you sure you're no French? <laughs> that's a briquette you come up <laughs> So, <laughs> so thank, thank you, Willie, for the translation. <laughs> so I basically um, 
my, my dad was good enough to buy me a, was a Toyota Hilux and uh, an Arctic load of peat. And so I had a Toyota High Ace. Okay. I knew the High Lux, right? Yeah. Okay, there's a there's a shoes. Yeah, there's a okay, on you go. So just started going around the filling stations in Aberdeen and then selling them. Then I looked at what else people were selling in the garages. So I started doing logs and kindling and paraffin and sledges and snow scoops and batteries <laughs> and all these things. Then in the summer I started selling garden bark and then I realized that it was a lot more money in the bark than the fuel. Right. Um because people didn't mind paying to enhance their property. But when I turned up with the firewood, they go, is that all you get for 60 quid? And I'd cut it, I'd split it, I was uh, sweat coming down my head. But I turned up with the bark and they go, that's great, can you bring us another five loads? <laughs> so I thought, right, I'm going to ditch the fuel business. So I sold it to a company called Northeast Fuels. Right. With the money I got from that, um, I thought I'll go direct to the sawmills and get the raw product, the bark, and try and get a better margin. So I bought a big, huge mobile trommel screen that grades stuff, and this was 2001 now. Right. And I went to the council to see if they wanted to hire it, and it's a bit of good luck and timing. If he told me on the phone that he didn't, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Oh, really? Or I might be, but I might have a much better business. <laughs> <laughs> or different. Or different, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I might be interviewing you. All you know? right, well, has been known. So, uh, but anyway, I went there and he told me he didn't want to hire it and I was walking out the yard, I was just making conversation. There's a pile of garden waste in the corner and I said, what do you do with that? Didn't know what it was. Didn't know anything about waste. Right. He said, we landfill it. And I thought, I didn't even know what landfill was, but I knew that you could compost organic materials. So right. I said to him, why don't you send it to me and I'll recycle it? So uh, he said, okay. So we put skips aside at all the recycling centres and started diverting it from landfill. That went well. I went round all other councils and said, what do you do with garden waste? They said, we'll landfill it. I said, well, come and see what we're doing for Aberdeenshire Council. So they liked it. So you are same. really learning by doing. Yes. Which is yeah, something yeah. that we coach in the yeah, scale-ups. yeah. Because you're saying, I didn't know, but you've obviously got a nose for things. Yeah, I was always looking for opportunities. Um, so then once I had all the recycling centres, I went back to council and I said, look, why don't you give everyone that's got a house a wheelie bin, you know, and then we'll get more diversion from so landfill. you're to blame for the wheelie bins, <laughs> so, yeah. so at that point, um, it was my wife and I in the the, the business. She kept the um, garden bark side going. Um, and then my brother was working in London, so he came up and joined me. Right. And then I thought, how can we grow the business? Want to get into food waste. Didn't want to be just another waste company because there was plenty of them. So I looked at, well, how what would it take to recycle food? And at that time, it was 3.2 million was what we had to raise to build a facility to handle it. Because if you've got food in it, it has to be done indoors. You can't do it outside. Right. So... Um, my brother managed to get us a grant from RAP, the Waste Resources Action Programme, for half a million. Okay. I went back to Clydesdale and said, right, we're ready to go. And I was only turning 700,000 a year at that point, so to raise 3.2 wow. million was a fair ask. I didn't realise that at the time, but oh, I do but now. So when you put your wife in charge, I take it your advertising slogan, wasn't it, her bark isn't better than her bite? No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, let's get in. And her bark is pretty, pretty <laughs> I thought you would say that. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think all our wives fall into that. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway. So, um, so then what happened was um, the bank said, you're still 500,000 short. Right. Now, interestingly, another fortuitous thing was that through my dad's path that he was on, um, he'd done a management buyout of RGIT Montrose. Do you remember the helicopter they used to dunk in the Aye. swimming pool? Aye. So before you went to an oil rig, you had to have your yeah. RGIT. Safety, yeah. certificate. So he did an MBO with 3i in Bank of Scotland. All right. So they had a seven-year plan um, to uh, to build the business and Petrofac were about to float. They were bolting businesses on. So... Um, so they exited to Petrofac, so he walked away a year and a half, so they bought the Even business. Even Asfari from Petrofac. That's right, yeah. yeah it's, I had yeah. a cup of tea with him. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was that? So that was 2004. Okay. Um, so that'll be Cummings and what? Yeah. Three yeah. eyes in yeah. the bank, yeah. Would have been. So anyway, he um, he stuck the 500,000 in, did he? bridged the gap, took equity. What did he charge you for that? <laughs> well, 30%... Uh, <laughs> Equity and he became it's a chairman. Like doing so. business deals with your family, no, 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 no. But and a nice bit of that story though was he also chucked another three hundred and fifty thousand in, so it was on the hook for eight hundred and fifty, just in case you couldn't add that. <laughs> so, so. No, you were right to assume that. <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> Tim's got his shoes <laughs> off and you're trying to get over it. I've not got enough toes uh, for that. You'd... So that sat very heavily on my shoulders. Wow, um, right. So I'd managed to pay him the 350 back out of trading, but we're a cash-hungry, capital-intensive business. So I was never going to manage that 500 at the rate we were growing. So I took on private equity through BGF, Business Growth Fund. Business Growth Fund, okay. So they came how, in. How were they to deal with? Oh, fantastic. They were good? Yeah, really good, really Great. good. I oh, came in, did what they paid what they said they would. Diligence was light. They've been in eight years, never had a single argument. Patient capital, as they, wow. as they say. You well, know, that's a good there. plug for them, yes. really. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been uh, fantastic. Can't speak highly enough of them. Um, so, so basically, uh, yeah, they, they they came in. I paid my dad back all the money that I was due him. We de-risked Did a bit. Did he want it back? <laughs> oh, he was delighted to get it back. <laughs> yeah. I was at a dinner once and he, um, there was, uh, was Frank Dick, the Olympic coach, talking oh, yeah. about Yeah, we've heard Frank talking, yeah. Uh, you know how you pay it forward. Yeah. My dad was next to me. <laughs> the elbow made went, I want mine paid back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, That's he, a he good got line. back. And then in... Um, in COVID as well, BGF bought half of his shareholding, so another 10%, and right. he got a nice seven-figure sum out of the business, which was all upside. So he got a really so, good return on his investment. So you you kind of were lucky. Like, like I went into shoes and I was very lucky. I didn't know how big it was going to be. Were you the same with this waste? Just You kind of thought, this yeah. is good, but then it became, yeah. wow. Right place, right time. Good bit of luck. Seized right. an opportunity. But you made the most of your saw, luck. Yeah. yeah. If you built the biggest yes. in the UK. Yeah. 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 So then the last bit of the story really was, I started doing. Uh, I said to all the waste companies, look, got a facility. Uh, why don't you collect food and I'll recycle it? And they all went, oh, great idea. A year went by, nobody brought us anything. I thought, we're going to have to do this ourselves. Started with one truck. Right. Went into Aberdeen, lifted a wheelie bin, came back. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> remember at the time, everyone said, oh, no one's ever going to recycle food uh, food waste. It's, you're wasting your time. So, But back to my I, I grit and determination. Right. It was just in my DNA. So just kept going, got a bit of traction. And then um, when BGF came in, injected uh, some money into the business, I thought, let's open up in Glasgow and Edinburgh. That went really well. Um, then it became legislation in 2014 that oh, all right. businesses have to recycle their food waste. So, so that was a... Oh, it was... It was yeah, from from saying from people saying it'll never work, to it's now the law. It was just a quantum <laughs> yeah. leap. Yeah. And then... Uh, then we went into England. So the plan was always expand into England to build a national business because there's no legislation in England. So I knew that when the legislation came in, if we had a platform and we are there... Oh, was that, the only, that was only Scotland's yes, legislation? Yes, so Scotland well ahead. 2014, the regs wow, came in. Wow, Scotland leading the way. Due to coming in England in 2023 and didn't come, it's coming next year. Wales is this year. So England 10 years behind us. But... Um, but you're ahead of the curve. Yeah. So went across the border into Newcastle, failed miserably. Oh, right. Because the sales guys were so used to selling with legislation that they'd forgotten how to sell and became order takers. Without legislation. Yeah. yeah. That's right. what I said to them. You imagine you were a photocopier salesman and it was the legislation that had to buy a photocopier and you're the only guy who can sell it. <laughs> you know, the, That's so, an easy yeah, sale. Exactly. So then um, we went into COVID time. Um, we got an offer for the business in 2019 and we all looked at each other and it was a really good offer and we looked at each other and went, why would we sell now? What could possibly what go, could wrong? go wrong? <laughs> yeah, tipped into 2020, whole industry oh, got shut down. Goodness. And we had a really difficult... So um, was there no recycling during COVID? Um, no, so um, so there was recycling but our market is hotels, restaurants. Yeah, so so they had we, no waste. Yeah, so no we waste. just collect food, wow. Tom, you know, so... Yes. So we had a decision to make that we so, knew... So that, where did, if you don't mind yeah, me asking, right, yeah. what, what percentage did your turnover drop? Oh, it's oh, 85, 90% uh, probably. Well, just, uh, I mean, that is a... It was brutal, yeah. Brut it was brutal. Especially since you had... The going away money. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. Yes, oh, that was that was really painful. Yeah. So you you must yeah. be made of strong stuff, Grant. Yeah. That's all I can say. Well, we had still smiling. <laughs> I know, I know. I tell you what, though, the last few years has been a challenge. So we, yeah. so we had a decision at that point: do we batten the hatches and preserve the cash we'd built up, or do we go on and try and build a national business? So you'd kept a cash. Your yeah. cash flow was front of your mind. Yeah. Even in the good times. Yeah, we also took took a Saab loan for a million and a half, which kept right. us, which we thought, let's just grab it while yeah. it's on offer. Yeah. Um, so uh, we decided to go on with the journey and we opened up another nine depots, spent four million quid on trucks. Wow. Um, and then uh, 
Putin invaded Ukraine, uh, price of fuel went crazy, fallout of Brexit, couldn't get enough drivers, drivers' oh. wages went through the roof, uh, and then the regulations didn't come. Um, <laughs> and the thing you have to be uh, understand as well is you can't just turn up in 2023 and say we're a national business. We need to be there two years beforehand to get all the depots open, to get a stable platform to load so everything you're investing onto. ahead of the curve. Oh, yeah, we invested very heavily. So we've 18 depots, we... We're the only company that covers every postcode in Scotland, England and Wales on our own wheels right. and don't subcontract So can I ask, yeah. how do you commercialise that? Do people pay for the waste to be taken away? Correct, yeah. Right. Every, every wheelie bin yeah, right. um, is charged okay. for. Right. And then it gets turned into either electricity or gas. Right. Is, and is there right. a set wow. fee for a wheelie bin? Or is it £22 or what is it? It, it varies. Um, depends on volume. You know, if you've got 30 yeah. bins, like a shopping... We do all the shopping centres, so yeah. if you lift 100, bins there you know the price can maybe get down to six quid if yeah. you're one premises might be 10 so how do you turn that into electricity um so it basically uh, goes to an anaerobic digestion plant they starve it of oxygen so yep. it goes anaerobic yeah the gas that comes off that is methane so they then turn the gas into liquid and then power a like a generator yes. and a so you build these fuel. plants no so we no. don't we don't own the anaerobic digestion plants but we've two big facilities one at linwood one in uh, New Deer, where we make the biofuel that feeds the plant. So right. Right. we've got equipment that takes supermarket waste, separates the packaging from the food, liquefies it, and then that then gets turned into what? gas. What? And the interesting what? thing what? is... We've just ordered 10 CNG trucks, compressed natural gas trucks, yeah. so they'll be powered by the food that they collect. So that's the wow. future. So you're green, green, green? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And what size is the business today? I've got just shy of 150 people, um, 80 million turnover. Wow. Yeah. And what's your goal? What are you try to get to? Uh, I would like to try and treble that over the next sort yeah. of few years. When legislation comes in 2024, that's a hockey stick for us. Right, yeah. The analogy I... Is that a hockey stick or a <laughs> hockey stick? <laughs> well done. It'll be, it'll, be a hockey, it'll be a hockey stick if we're running the yeah. country. <laughs> the, the analogy I use is at the moment, there's only a certain size of pie feeding us all and yes. we're all scrapping over it and it's not big enough for all of us. Oh. So rates are really tight. So have you got plenty of competition? No, we've right. um, we've only got one real competitor. I'm not going to name them. Right? But... Okay. No, don't don't <laughs> give them a name check. And oh. uh, uh, they are they don't cover everywhere, but they kind of just do what we do, specialise in food. You get pockets of regional players yeah. that'll put a food truck on, and then we've an interesting dynamic. So we subcontract to Biffa, Veolia, Suez. Biffa um, runs some of their trucks, so they'll give us work here and they'll take work here. So right. we're, we're their sole subcontractor. So we've signed a three-year deal, so right. they won't use anybody else for food waste nationally. Right. right. And it works because the the waste companies and the brokers, everybody wants to shrink their supply chain. So before we existed, if somebody won a national contract for food waste, they'd have to go up and down the country going, who does food in Manchester? Who does it in I Aberdeen? See. And they might have 100 contractors. So you're whereas, a good solution yeah. for these companies. Yeah, and if it goes wrong, it's it's me at the end. And how many well. many depots have you got now? 18. 18? 18. Yeah. Wow, good and coverage. Is your, is your head office still in Scotland? It's in Aberdeen, yeah. Aberdeen. Yeah. 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 We did open an office in Linlithgow when we came down to the central belt because we thought, we needed a central uh -huh. belt presence and then realised that we didn't. You know, right. just people at the end of a phone and nobody, yeah. didn't matter. No. You had two sets of overheads. Yeah. And, and if you were given, because it's a heck of a story, Grant, I mean, it's brilliant. Um, if you're given the listeners who are striving away in their businesses any piece of advice, have you got any kind of nugget? There's a few things. Well, Warren Buffett said the, the biggest decision you'll make is who you marry. <laughs> you know, and you can actually chart my success from when I married my wife. So she she actually runs all the collection Give her a name business. Check then. So Come Claire on. Keenan. Claire okay. Keenan. So she she trained as a got Claire on. <laughs> <laughs> you should have actually, yeah. Yeah. She she basically um joined me, built built the business up and then uh, got her transport manager's qualification. So she yeah. runs all the collections. Right. Uh, the 18 depots, all the transport managers report into her. And my brother runs the facility. So it's a family effort. Family business. It's a real family, family yeah. effort, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, the other thing, Tom, is um, is just, just keep going, grit, determination. And 
One thing which I think is quite important, I think, isn't talked enough about is um, when I had the fuel business, I could not have worked any harder. But I was never, was never going to make me a lot of money. And the analogy I use is I had my ladder against the wrong wall. If I put that against something that has the potential to make money and apply the same effort, that was when I started to get exponential rewards. So it's very good, guy. It's that balance yeah, between. But it's fantastic up, that yeah. what you have demonstrated is is that uh, true entrepreneurs have always got their eye out and they might spot something else. Yes. And what you've done very quickly is realise that, wait a minute, this is great. I'm barting my melt in here. You yeah. decided the, <laughs> the prize might be this. Yeah. But now, wait a minute, here's something here. I'll look at it and you've just pivoted. Yeah. You and said, no, we're going to go down this route, which I'll, is fantastic. I'll, I'll translate that for Dabadonians. <laughs> You're working very hard. <laughs> 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 out but, the gorbals there. I, I, I barting your melt in can mean two different things I, down I here in the gorbals. Yeah. Yeah. I've <laughs> had that. I understand <laughs> what that threat means. Now. Remember, remember I lived in Alva for uh, a Okay, so collect manager, they would know what that means. But but it's interesting what you say about legislation yeah the industry that that obviously has been a huge part of my life refrigeration was all changed overnight with legislation yeah. was it really? in, in 1958 when the government introduced that all milk and butter had to be chilled Oh, so those yeah, wee three-quarter yeah. glass cabinets so you into the shops where they kept the milk and butter in, and the whole industry was spun out of that legislation. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Well, the other thing that you touched on, Tom, was luck. And there's always this argument about, you know, the people luckier and the harder we train, the luckier we get. And some yeah. people say it's significant, others rule it out. My my view is that it's just an ingredient as if you're baking a cake and it's, it's like Monopoly. You have to have the luck to land on the square, but it's what you do when you land on that square. Because yeah. everybody was That's on it. the same square when I looked at the garden waste, the opportunity was there. It was just I happened to spot it and nobody else did. And yeah. sometimes a fresh pair of eyes from a different... Um, industry can see things that other people can't. Yeah. I mean, that's it. So so give your business a plug. If there's any customers out there this morning, how do they get in touch with you? Thanks, Tom. Um, so basically, uh, you can go on the, the website, www.keenanrecycling.co.uk. If you're a restaurant, hotel, anybody producing food waste, right. uh, we can uh, supply with bins and collect it as well. And if I could also do just a very quick um, sure. plug for YPO. Yeah. Uh, I'm in that as well. I've learned a, a great bit there. Um, yeah. Mark Williams, you probably know, is a, a yeah. really good friend of mine yeah. as well. Um, and also Entrepreneurial Scotland. Um, yeah. I've really benefited from that as well Brilliant. so yeah. a network you know yeah. well, learning from people I'd love, I'd love I'd love to get you along and speak to, to our scale ups and, and, yeah. the, and the scale up programs so be delighted to that Thanks, would be Tom. great because that's a hell of a story Willie Grant thank you for coming on it's a fantastic story and we wish you all the best thank you very much and we hope you haven't wasted your time as well <laughs> <laughs> I know that was good the board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Thomas, on the board you can't afford this week, we've got a special guest. So Michelle Anderson, who's the founder of Shell Bell Fitness. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm getting a bit worried now, Willie, <laughs> if it's fitness. Aye. So what's all this about, Michelle? Listen in, listen in. Tell us about your business. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again for having me on. I feel quite privileged to be here. You're um, so <laughs> Not everybody is... thinks that, Michelle. <laughs> uh... So it's a subscription-based website um, set up for women only, predominantly, um, where I teach them how to lose weight in a healthy lifestyle way, not uh -huh. a drastic, strict diet. You won't be eating a chicken and Tupperware dishes. So it's more enjoying the process and teaching them how to make healthier versions of everyday meals, how to move more, right. how to adapt these things into their routines because everybody's always in a rush these days. And So, Michelle, how did you get this knowledge? How did you yeah. understand that these were some of the answers? Yeah, so I went to uni and I went then I went back and worked in gyms for years and everybody used to come in and slog away on the treadmill and think that that was the answer to another weight loss routine. And then I had my kids and then I put on a bit of weight myself and it wasn't until I started. I'd always been quite slim and I'd put on weight and I thought... How do you actually, I've been going to the gym, not doing this, because you're not taught this in college or university. You're not actually no. taught like the basics of the nutrition side of things. Um, and then I started developing meal plans because I went and lost all the weight that I had gained through that. And then I thought, I want to share this. And it's kind of grew from there. So right. it's been uh, ongoing now. Right, so 12, so I'm interested years. in this. So <laughs> give me, give me uh, an example of what 
you might eat on a Monday night and a Tuesday night. That's what I'm saying. So I take, Any tatty scones for a while? No, <laughs> you could if you wanted to. Um, so it's just about um, taking an everyday meal like your spaghetti bolognese and just an adapting it so that you're portion controlling it for a start. So you're not cutting anything out. Right. You're just learning how to cook it a healthier way. So rather than buying a tin of dolmio sauce, all you put in is a tin of tomatoes, a little bit of stock, some balsamic right. vinegar, a little bit of seasoning, things like that. And there you've right. honestly got a really tasty version of spaghetti bolognese. Right. So can I ask, does a smaller plate trick work? No, no, no. You don't have to. Smaller plates, but yeah, you to that to the uh, eye, it might trick you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's so just, you don't need to have a smaller plate. No, no, no. Uh, it's all about what you're eating throughout the day. It's not just about what you're eating for your dinner. And obviously, planning ahead as well. It's another yeah. thing. I try and teach them not knowing what you're having the next day will then prevent you from kind of staying on track by yeah. not having your shopping in, not prepared your food. If you prepare your food in batching, then yeah. you're having to save time in the kitchen and in the shopping. So you decided that you try this as an online business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when did you start? So it was about seven years ago, actually, I started. I had my second child and I had done another business at the same time. And I thought, it's just too much to do part-time and everything together. And I'd already had a good client base by that point in time. People were using it and then coming back again if they had a holiday or whatnot right. to go on. And um, yeah, I've been doing that for quite a while. So this now. guy's always interested. Where did the entrepreneurial spark come from? Yeah. Were your parents, were MD have so been No, no, before? they weren't, actually. I don't know. Um, myself and my husband, we're both similar. Like, he's... Both came from like council estates and ended up going to, ended up going to uni. He just built a business himself and they kind of bounce off so each other. So, what's his that business, way. Michelle? He's got a few. He's got a body shop, a car body shop in Hillington, and he's got a few restaurants now. And are you more successful than him? Oh, this is the competition. <laughs> I, had, I had the two kids, so I'll let him fast over before Oh, me. right. <laughs> so, give okay. a couple of these restaurants a wee plug. What are they called? Uh, Hot World Cuisine and Pure Sweet Desserts. Right. Down okay. at the key. Two minutes. All right. right. Okay. So, if you go to his restaurants and then you come to you to lose the weight. Uh, yes, what I said. That's a good balance. And he put on all these healthy options into the dessert so, menu as well. So, how many subscribers is that what you call it? Do you have yeah. online? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good couple of hundred um, that are monthly subscription based as well but I have been more moving into hormone balancing which I feel as if now is really really important because I think just the current climate the way the foods have been going the way the foods are and like your supermarkets it's all ultra processed it's all quick right, and dab yes. it's all loaded with artificial sweeteners especially since the sugar tax they've taken out um, the sugar from the food and replaced it with that to save the yeah. themselves money but really it's costing you it's on much the more end. addictive than it was so the sugar it's more addictive it'll leave yeah. you with less energy bad gut health no. and then you'll be craving more and more after it as well so. Yeah. so are you a believer in this because my wife's been getting me into this gut health yes that's so, another part of it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you, you're the microbiome mm-hmm. and yeah. all that it's massive it's all interlinked like your gut and your brain are linked together so if your gut health's poor then you could be feeling fatigued you can be depressed you could be stressed more anxious it's just I just want to spread that word to more I know what's wrong with you now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got too big a gut. <laughs> too many sweeteners. Right? Too many sweeteners. Yeah. And so, what's your question to me and Tom this morning? So, right now, I'm very successful in the place of, obviously, Glasgow, and the, my demographic is based in Glasgow, but through a four-week boot camp that I just did, it was so hugely successful, and people were seeing the benefits, not just in their waistline, but internally. They had more energy, they had less stress. They're, they were saying that their houses were cleaner, their <laughs> their kids were happier because they were just managing everything a hell of a lot more. So I just want to spread that. But how do I upscale my business without losing that personal touch? Because I do mm-hmm. involve myself kind of one-on-one with plies and client-based that way. Well, I think the good news is you're an online business. Yeah. Right, so if you manage to get your marketing of that right, get the right people, I don't need to tell you, you know the first thing you want to do is to get a couple of big names to yes. endorse what you're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that just, that just takes it through. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll keep keep <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, that that would be the route, you mm-hmm. know, because your your business is obviously a business you could scale up yeah. without spending a lot of capital. Yeah. You know, so, you know, getting somebody clever on TikTok and I'm saying as if I know oh, what I'm yes. talking about here, right, yeah. when I know nothing about social media, <laughs> right, just for the listeners. But I think that getting a couple of big stars to think is a good idea and then getting more and more testimonials so like the boot camp, mm-hmm. getting all the road, there's nothing... There's nothing better than a customer telling people how good you are, yeah. right? It's, mm-hmm. it's worth a hundred times more than any PR that you could give the company. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. having satisfied customers and getting more and more of that out there mm-hmm. would go a long way in, in helping you grow the business. What do you think? So I think, well, he's spot on for mm-hmm. a change. And um, I think um, 
so obviously you are the business, right? Yeah, that's the thing. So, <clears throat> and it's always a challenge when it's just yourself and how do you grow? Because you've only got so many hours. In the yeah, day. that's it. That's but, exactly my problem. Um, it kind of reminds me of the story of a, a, a lady my wife introduced me to called Jeanette Hyde, who was all about gut health mm -hmm. maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I kind of tagged along with Mary and we went to this gut retreat. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was amazed about the business side of it and the way she did it was um, she wrote a book and she was very prevalent on social media channels yeah, because she could reach a much bigger audience where she sat in London. Mm -hmm. But she also did these retreats, which I think your boot camps sound like it, mm -hmm. where that got people there, then word of mouth, which is the best marketing yeah. ever. Mm -hmm. But... A mixture of word of mouth, you being the guru, mm -hmm. and then word of mouth spreads. Then if if I'm not sure which social media, but but you'll be far more afraid than Willie and I on that, <laughs> of the ones to use to reach um, your target customer. But I I really think you're onto something. I think mm -hmm. the the whole health and well being mm -hmm. is just everybody's talking about it yeah. now. And, I mean, I'd never heard of ultra-processed foods to maybe two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, they're, they're the devil. So, mm -hmm. so forgive me if this already exists, but I read this week with interest that you, know, you had TikTok. Yeah. Now you've got TikBook. Yeah. Oh, really? Right? Uh, yes, yeah. I'm not What about Tech Health? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, going on and trying... The good thing about this business is that if you've got an online business then you can still get that personal touch because it's just you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Taylor Swift's got 110 million people that like her. I'm not one of them, by the way, right? Guess the You're deluge Swiftie, I'm going to... I'm a uh, kind of Swiftie. Like Swiftie, don't, I heard that. Yeah, but don't uh. ask me to name a song, right? Okay, right? I know who her boyfriend is, right? Okay. But I would say to you that just to explore that, and I think if you come up with an imaginative way Mm -hmm. you know, of getting someone, get a couple of endorsements, get a few more people doing, come up with a great idea for a TikTok challenge for what you're yeah. doing. Mm -hmm. That'll get you noticed. Yeah. I'm becoming an expert <laughs> on a social media You're stuff. a social media ah, guru as well. No, no, no. I've seen a different side of you, but I, I think all that's valid. Right. Yeah. Well, Michelle, so you're the face of your business, mm -hmm. but because of um, the internet now, your face can go global. Yeah. yeah. That would be amazing. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. But you can so just, why not? Just need to stumble on the so, right thing. So give your business a plug. How do people find you? So they can message me on Instagram or TikTok or uh, Facebook and it is shellbellfitness.com. So um, how do you spell that? C-H-E-L-L-E-B-E-L-L-Fitness.com. Brilliant. Right. Thank you so much for coming on this morning. Good luck. Thank so you so much for having keep, me. Keep in touch with us. Let us know if Willie's points make your business a, a global say. success and um I'll, I'll have a wee word with Taylor <laughs> sorry sorry my Taylor Claire, no. <laughs> Taylor Ferguson Molly. oh there's a wee plug for Taylor Ferguson <laughs> friends of the show the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode Go.